Welcome to the Arrestor Mimics podcast with your host Ben Talent. Hello and welcome back to part two of the Arrest on the Mix Mental Health and Creativity Special. What did you think of part one, guys? I hope you enjoyed it. Um, it's been such an empowering thing for me, is this. It's been such a great episode to put together. It's been a lot of hard work and a lot of time spent interviewing these people and often talking about some quite sensitive subjects and being worried about, you know, crossing lines and... Um, maybe treading on toes because I know people feel very sensitive about this but everyone was so so open on the show so I'd like to thank everyone on episode one um Paul Shields from Calm, Steve Johnson, Ian Stone, Danny Ellison and Ray Richardson um so thanks so much to those guys for taking the time to talk and I hope you um got a lot out of it and learned a little about Calm's work and about you know how people are dealing with their own issues and using their creativity as a positive outlet Thanks to the sponsors uh, as ever. Back for episode two, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk and printed.com. Go and check them out. Wonderful, supportive, loyal sponsors. Um, So like I say, thanks to all those guys. That was part one. Now we're going to go a little broader and we're going to talk. This is not gender specific now. We're going to just go wide and I'm going to give you five conversations with people from very broad range of fields who kindly gave me the time to chat. To further this you know, this whole issue of creativity as an uh, you know an emotional outlet and a positive thing for our mental health, um, I'm going to be chatting to Malik Favre, French illustrator. Um, doesn't need an introduction. One of the best in the business right now. Um, and we're going to talk a little about why it's important to step away sometimes and how your work can get a little too much. How creativity can actually become an overload at times. So why it's important to step back from that and take a little break. I'm also going to be chatting to the Hyena Kill, two-piece hard rock band from Manchester. Uh, Just very briefly, a few words on why it's important just to find context, to find something you're into that's creative. You don't even have to do it. This isn't about being a master or being professional. We touched on that with Paul Shields from Calm about why mastery can often be off-putting and and, and be a bit of a a double back, so to speak. You know, creativity is a great thing, but if you feel like you've got to be the dog's bollocks and you've got to be out there winning awards, it can often stop you from doing it when the real joy is in simply that, just doing it. Um, So we're going to talk about that with those guys. Mark May-Smith, slam poet from Manchester, also an artist, photographer, musician occasionally. Very, very talented man. He's going to talk to me too about his uh, his slam poetry and why that is such a cool new thing that he's been doing now for a number of years and what that does for him. Um, Danny Skerritt, you might know him as Dirty Freud, fantastic electronic musician, producer, DJ, lecturer, um, very broadly talented man. Dig- got his degree in creative writing, went on to become a musician, which was his childhood pleasure. He's going to take us through that journey and why growing up on a North London estate could have been perceived as a bad thing, but in his respect... Because of the way we show them with creativity, it didn't turn out to be so. So we're going to get into depth with that. It's a good one coming up. And last but very not least is the fantastic Angela Morris Windmill, Australian um, multi-skilled multimedia artist working across fashion, design, um, drawing, painting. She's a, a fascinating lady and she's going to talk too about... Um, many different things you know what emanates from fashion and 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 feeling kind of intimidated and what her work does and how autism um uh, her son has autism and, and how that's affected her but how it's also a massively positive thing um so that's a really intriguing one also so i'd like to thank all these people in advance get us your thoughts over on the twitter at arrest all the mix thanks to everyone who's taken part for this because it really does feel like one of my biggest achievements in my career in terms of 
grabbing this subject by the bollocks, um, mental health and creativity, and and trying to put it in the spotlight where it needs to be. Like I mentioned before, one of the one of the reasons I've chosen to do this now is simply because it's as relevant as ever, and it's sad that this is still going on. And the government came out the other week and said they were going to reform support for young people and mental health. So. I figured it was high time to do it. I mean, let's face it, it's a political mess right now with the whole Donald Trump in the US thing, um, dividing people left, right and centre, as is the whole Brexit thing. We're not going to get political and pass opinions on this show, but it's, um, <laughs> let's face it, it's testing times, right? It's kind of scrambling the mind at the minute. It certainly is for me. So I hope you're on board with it. And that's why I've chosen to do this stuff now. And I hope this provides a great showcase of what creativity can do and what role it plays um, not just for mental health and emotional well-being, but I really think moving forward it's going to have a massive role to play in society and people's happiness. So let me know your thoughts, please. I'm really looking for some feedback on this. Up for your own experiences. I'm just up for your opinions. I'm up for whatever you want to pass on to me. So thanks for checking in, guys. Thanks again to the sponsors, Printed.com, Heart Internet and Illustration Limit. When I was still in Preston, uh, after I graduated there from the University of Central Lancashire, there was a, a really kind of cool, creative hub of people hanging around. It was pretty small, but um, you really got to know the people there. And I was introduced to a guy called Mark May Smith, who is a very, very talented man. Um, Mark, I believe, originally from London. He He's a bit of a... What's the right term? He, he has a lot of skills, let's put it that way. Um... What I loved the most about his work was his slam poetry. I, I had the pleasure of seeing it live once, and it's a thing to behold. It's a very... Uh, it's Think rap battles, but poetry. It's very cool. It's competing. It's very edgy, and it's... My God, it's a talent. It's it's so impressive to see. And Mark has won numerous awards. He's won the championships numerous times, and he's a fantastic character. So Mark was kind enough to talk to me about that and about... Um, his journey into getting into that and how it came around. He also does great artwork, photography. You can go and check out his work, look him up. He's not a hard guy to find. And he talks about his route into that and what it gives him and how he is able to express things in his personal life and how it continues to uh, give him great outlets. So, um, once again, thanks to Mark May Smith for giving me the time to chat to him. Do you just want to tell us about what you do and, um, you know, what oh, you're at? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's always one of the hardest questions to be asked, yeah, yeah. because I do a lot of different yeah. genres. But um, see, my, my voice has changed to an interview mode. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, best known as a poet. I paint, I take photography, I make music, particularly losing, using the loop station and doing beatbox. Um, what else do I do? Play drum, um, sometimes collaborate with uh, Johnny Fifth Wheel uh, from out of Preston, you know, Mr. Richard Lomax. Oh, yeah. yeah, indeed. <laughs> Um, and I just, I try and be a full-time, self-unemployed artist. Yeah. So, yeah, my craft is predominantly poetry. Yeah. But I'm trying to move towards more of the photography because I've taken 80,000 odd photographs in eight or nine years. And I probably ought to sell some of them. Yeah, it would be nice to do something like that. Yeah, indeed. So, the slam poetry, mm -hmm. that's all quite new to me because um, Danny has recently done a project called Shake the Dust, which is worth, are you aware of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, they did really well, actually. They got through to the, they were runners-up in the London, in the Nationals. Uh, yeah, and they would have gone to the Olympics if they'd won. So mm -hmm. the kids were a little bit gutted, even though they'd five gone beyond yeah. what they'd expected to do. Yeah. Um, and that was my first kind of encounter of it, aside from hearing 
your name mentioned with it and doing quite well with that. Mm. So, do you want to tell me, tell us about what, how, that, how has it come about? What is, what is it, Slam Poetry? Um, slam Poetry is, it's, it's a poetry competition where you may get like 10 poets in a round, you get three minutes um, to do your stuff up to three minutes. Um, you get voted on it generally by the audience and a couple of professionals. Uh, and it's normally down to four poets in the last round and the person with the highest mark wins the slam. And often you can get 50 quid prize or a bottle of wine or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it since um, 2003 or thereabouts. Uh, I was in Preston at a poetry cafe called Green Leaves and Super Green Leaves and Super Juice, run by my friend Shelley. And then Shelley came over to Manchester to contact Fair to do a slam and got second place. And she came back all happy. And I thought, Chat, <laughs> I can go over there and win that. And I did. And I actually beat um, Ben Miller, who was a, is a BBC, uh, see, the BBC Slam champion. A couple of years back, do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, um, I just turned up, did my first slam and won it. Wow, brilliant. Yeah. And then headed back to Preston, very happy, and then continued to do that. The whole, maybe the whole, the whole, how much sort of preparation do you put into it? Is it something that comes quite ad hoc, or is it...? Uh, the last slam I won uh, was the common word superheroes of slam, which I've gone for three times. Got beaten by Ben Miller. Oh, <laughs> oh revenge. Yeah, uh, Dominic Berry. Uh, won it as well, and then I won the third time I, I tried, uh, and it was a lot of um, um, preparation. Yeah. It was a lot of rehearsing, a lot of. I'm a bit spiritual, so it's asking what will work, visualizing yes. myself winning, and, and so much yeah. went into it that yeah, it's a lot of effort, and it really, <laughs> really drained me. Actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite, uh, sounds fantastic. And what's wasn't it? Like the common word. Common word, superheroes of slam. It's, yeah. a D, it's the DK Omeji Award. Yeah. It's, I don't know if you know of DK Omeji. It's D I K E. Yeah. Omeji. Uh, o M E J E. Google that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, so, just, um, just that, just, uh, it's named after DK Omeji because DK died about four or five years ago. Oh. And he was the ultimate slam poet. Right. He never lost one. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. Undefeated. Yeah, he actually, he actually, common word actually asked him to host the slams mm. rather than slamming because no one else would win. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, for me, as a, to gain that title is big for me, mm. really. Yeah. Do you think the competition element gives it something else in terms of uh, inspiring people to, to work? I mean, mm. just coming from a personal perspective, you know, if I had that platform and that and that actual competition with that with the, the carrot of victory there, mm. I think that you know that I'd, I'd be a, I'd be pacing the rooms. I'd be you know I'd be yeah. really kind of. I think that offer me as just as an individual something more than than if I was just to write poetry as a as a form of art. That's just my perspective. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, if I'm going to do a, a poetry performance, like I did one the other day with Classical Revolution, I have a bit of a list of what I might do. And then depending on the audience, depends what I do. Yeah. Which isn't a lot of preparation, really. And it's poems which I already remember. But to do that slam, you have to go, right, I'm going to do this particular poem because it's a bit funny, this one because it's philosophical, and this one because it's romantic. And yeah. you go, I need to have the right sort of spread. And you have to make sure it's right and time it correctly and mm -hmm. all those sort of things, yeah. So the competitive side of it does make you raise your game. Yeah. I feel, yeah. I think it's brilliant. I mean, I've done quite a lot of stuff 
with youth work, I think it's I'm I'm really kind of I grew up with a lot of friends who grew up on council estates and then didn't have the same opportunities that I had. Mm. And now when I see kids writing and, and the rest of it, it really mm. kind of makes me angry that the government is so short-sighted mm. in taking away youth centres and, and things where might give them, the, you know, mm. where they might meet the people that, that they find, discover these things. Yeah. It really kind of angers me. And mm. I think just seeing what Danny achieved with the shape of dust and, and the kids mm. that were on that, that, you know, they've been to youth offender systems, they were mm. quite rough kids. And, mm. um, but, you know, the the success they achieved through that and now they really yeah. kind of got into that and, and, and would we'll, like to think take it beyond that is yeah. for me is quite invigorating and I think going back to this as a form of expression I think that's mm. uh, I think it's a fantastic way and whereas perhaps some of those kids might be inclined to look at poetry and say oh, actually, I don't know it's not you know the stigma yeah. and think I'm a, it's not too masculine or it's not too cool like, this suddenly puts it in an arena where you look around and yeah. You know, it's, it gives it another element, I think. Yeah, I, I do work with um, young offenders and uh, I work in yachts, youth offending teams, uh, pupil referral units, prisons and all those sort of things. And that's where I get the most enjoyment with, with using my poetry because yes. I suppose you can quote me on this, but it, I feel I've been given a gift. Mm -hmm. And if, you, if you're given a gift, you should give the gift. Yes, you know I mean? I, well, it's exactly you know I mean? today. Yeah. I, I love doing this. I love yeah. giving back my, my art. You know, it's yeah. the best feeling I have in my career. Mm. And, and when when someone comes, when you've got a group of kids in a people ferry unit, and you know they're bad kids, and you ask them to, to write the worst poem ever, this is what it's so easy to write the worst poem ever. It's just you can't get it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's a kid at the back just writes an A4 sheet of stuff, and you read it, and it's fucking brilliant. Do you know what I mean? You go. Great, you know, encourage this kid to do this, and, and he sees for himself that he can do that. Yeah. You know, you don't need to, I don't I can't remember the example you used, but it's like throwing tables or shouting at teacher or swearing or kicking off. You don't need to do that. You can take your time, uh, write what you want to say, you yeah. know, tailor it, you know, tighten it all up and just go, there you go, that's, that's what I've got to say. Yeah, you it know? lifts the censorship, doesn't it? it, it mm. It's not, you know, you, oh, you shouldn't say that, you can't do that. It's not like that, it's just saying, yeah. well, you know, you do that instead. Yeah, and, and, and do it that way. Yeah, yeah. and the, the poetry has, you know, there's no rules as such, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. <laughs> Spell it wrong, you know, rhyme things that don't rhyme, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Just get it out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's, it's such an outlook for people and opening. Mm. I think it's fantastic. Mm. You know, I think the only time that I've, written any poetry is when I've been dumped or you know that, yeah. <laughs> I think that's not my thing I love my writing but I've not come back down the poetry road yet <laughs> well, and, 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 but, and I forget I've even written them and I'll find these old sketchbooks and as we yeah. said earlier about you know you look back at that time and it's hilarious I mean well, now you know sometimes painful. <laughs> a mindset to look back and stuff like that I mm. cringe occasionally but then at the time that obviously did something for me and was a, a channel mm. you know and mm. uh, I, think, I think that's mm. something to be said of it Definitely. Well, it was another thing I was thinking when was, um, I worked for the National Football Museum. I had done for about three years, doing three, four years, doing workshops. I was going to come to one of your workshops, actually. Uh, I remember I got a deadline dropped to me right on the morning, it was a Thursday. Was, I uh, I've got one on Saturday. Have you? Yeah. Um, and they call it Street Speak. Okay. Yeah, so as not to uh, scare the kids off calling it poetry. Yeah, and they go, I go in the class going, what are you? Poem, poetry. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Then, yeah, and then you just slam them with some mad lines and they just, their eyes yeah. open and, you know, you got them. Well, um, what do you think, like, socially, I mean, I, I mm. now, now when I look around and I look at my closest friends and the people that I can share things with mm. that I might not feel comfortable about sharing with others, mm. most of those people I've met through my art and mm -hmm. through uh, and through the, the social side of that, so mm. whether it's, a, you know, 
means. Mm. Uh, filming, for example, recently I've been working on film sets, and, and I just you know, for, for example, these the slam poetry nights, mm. or maybe you know, open mic nights, that kind of thing. I find mm. that the community aspect that brings and, and getting people together yeah. in in the whole form of expression thing, I think, is quite important because mm-hmm. you know, if someone's alone and they don't necessarily have a lot of friends. Mm. It's these kind of things that I would point someone towards to, to go and meet new people, and and, yeah. and and I think art, and you know, mm. whether it's poetry, I mean, any form of art, and, mm. and I think is um, brings with it a good a good social side. Mm. Especially, I mean, in, it depends where you live, I guess. But mm. in cities like Manchester, there's you know any number of good nights going on. I think in yeah. places where where people can just sort of turn up and, and meet people with common interests. Yeah, I think. Uh, have you found? Do you find that through your poetry and your art, that's the, the social side is important? Yeah. Um, is that... Sorry, I was waiting for your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can't grapple with that, I can't question quite well. Well, you, there's a book called The Celestine Prophecy. Right? I know, yeah. And then there's a follow-on book about using questions you can ask yourself. And one of the questions was, uh, where, where did you get your last job? Where did you meet your girlfriend? Do you know what I mean? Um, where did you get your money from? You know, that sort of thing. And, and it, yeah, I just sort of thought, well, poetry, it always has been. In, in the last 10 years, you know what I mean? I meet people through, obviously, what I do, and I get paid for what I do, so it does give that social network. Yeah. I know a lot of people, I don't know, have an office job and have an office, you know, a Christmas party and all that sort of shit. But, um, yeah, as a poet, which is quite a solitary um, role in life, or as an artist even, yeah, it's it's hard to meet people, and especially when you're not brilliant being social. So yeah, I find yeah I can go out to a poetry night and know I'll know someone. I can talk to someone. I can express myself yeah. as well. So yeah, it's a good if I need that. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, a lot of my social networks are built up from people I've met through through art and poetry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Definitely mm. musicians as well. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Mm. And it's good, but the thing that I find with the arts as well is that it allows people to be a little bit angry or a little bit bitter if they need to be because that's, you yeah. know. Oh, yeah, it does. Or, yeah. or, or, or twisted or perverse or. Yeah, or, yeah. or even, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum and mm. elated with something they're very proud you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, There's also that rewarding. You know, I think that competition element again, mm. you know, where it's, it's often unspoken, but mm. the people that are in your network, there's always that kind of, you know, I want to do that. I want to do that all better than that. Yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say one of the nicest things, I won't say who it was, who asked me if I was slamming, uh, and I says, I'm, I'm not sure, and he goes, well, let me know, because there's no point <laughs> of me slamming if you're slamming Mark. And then it's like, <laughs> <"Bing> up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> when I last performed, which was two days ago, um, I had had a conversation with my daughter's mother, um, who, my daughter's 14, uh, and my daughter's mother thinks I'm just a dosser, really, because um, you know, I haven't really particularly provided much financially, but I've always been there for my child. Mm-hmm. I said, sure, I was a dosser. And that was what inspired me to perform whichever poems I chose to do on, as if to say, I'm going to record this, which I did do, and send it to her and go, look, that's what I do, and that's the audience reaction I get. Do you know what I mean? And these are the words I do, and look, it's not dossing, it's, it's art. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, as a, when I'd finished and come off stage and I'd been congratulated or the applause or whatever, do you know what I mean? Which I do it for the applause and the money um, and, and to give my gift. Um, yeah, I just felt so much better. 
I didn't particularly care about what she said to me anymore yep. because I just gone oh, fuck you. <laughs> That's it, I yeah. know what I'm doing and I can express myself. And if you and she's never seen me perform. Mm. My mother saw me perform in Brixton for the first time about four years ago, and if I say so myself, I had the audience in part of my hand. Do you know what I mean? Doing the runny honey bunny, which is <laughs> a ridiculous poem, but uh, it's good fun. And from that day, my mother has never said to me, "You need to get a proper job." Brilliant. Not anymore. The Hyena Killer, a hard rock two-piece from Manchester who I met on the open mic scene actually when I was working in the music industry in Manchester. Uh, we set up an open mic night there, Dirty Freud and I, and we became good friends with Stephen Lorna from Hyena Kill. And I've now worked with this band for five years, which is fantastic, and we've developed great friendships. Uh, and I just talked to them briefly about what music means to them and what the wider context of coming together with other music fans uh, gives them as human beings. It's only just coming to light, really, isn't it? Yeah, cause it's a big taboo in this country, isn't it? It's not... Everyone talks about knives and guns and the rest of it and drugs, but it's dwarfed by suicide, yeah. and that's just like, that's, that's not a nice thing. People shouldn't have to get to that point, you know, it's just like, and that's yeah. sort of, me being an artist and, and I just love everything in the arts, whatever it is, filmmaking, that's why I'm doing that many projects at once. Yeah. Just love it. And um, and you just, you talk to people and you quickly realise it's just a belonging, isn't it? You don't have to do a career for me, you don't have to be amazing at anything, it's just, it's somewhere you can go and have a drink and watch an open mic night and just talk to people yeah. with a common interest and it's just context. Yeah. You know, or obviously if you do get into it as a career, it's what, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. There's no doubt yeah. about it. I love what I do. It does make a difference talking bollocks so, though, doesn't it? In the pub? Just talking. It's it is good to yeah. talk when you have got that common interest. Yeah. yeah, I think so, massively. Like I say, music's brought us all together, but all of our friends are so funny. You don't have to be around them in a musical environment that's at not, all. It's you know, like when me and, away from it. Yeah, when me and Mason went to festivals over the summer, we didn't go to watch the bands. We just was camping, and it yeah. was the funnest thing. Like yeah. that's that's influences and, and activities <laughs> outside of music. But generally, it's just it all do. comes back to music. I think yeah, yeah. that's all we do every day. Yeah. I mentioned Dirty Freud a hell of a lot on this show so far, but he was my kind of partner on this campaign. We lived together at the time, so we went through a lot setting up our music project, uh, and we've got very contrasting backgrounds. So for anyone who listens to the episode, the full episode with Dirty Freud, go back and check it out if you haven't. But uh, he grew up on a North London estate, and his parents are both very creative people. So this gave him a great way of, uh, of channeling his energies as a young lad and he's going to tell us about what it was like to grow up um, at a time that he, that he did uh, in the late 80s, early 90s and how he got into uh, you know, his work as a writer and as a musician and he loves comic books. There's so much that, that he gets from his creativity. So he's going to take us through that background and tell us why he thinks it's uh, very important for him and for young people growing up at any time. Uh, it's very, very crucial. If you haven't heard his music, do go and check him out. Uh, look him up on SoundCloud. Really cool electronic musician. And it's a fascinating tale. So uh, as with everything else, let us know your thoughts on Dirty Freud on Twitter at Arrest on the Mix. Oh, uh, well, like, there wasn't really, like, much to do where I was, like, growing up and stuff. It was, like, just loads of... Loads of either like hanging around on the corner or just more hanging around on the corner really, and um, it was it was only when I like saw my dad like playing all these new like vinyl and like getting loads of like tracks out there and introducing me to loads of music that like uh, I was like wow there's a whole new world which I haven't even like seen yet tasted and then my mum being my mum she was having none of that she thought well if you're showing him all this I'm gonna show you like like all my uh, or my interests in music as well 
and then I ended up uh, ended up going on going on one of her uh, tours because she used to do a lot of roadieing back in the day, and then I was able to like meet the likes of um, Iron Maiden, um, a few other like up and coming bands coming up, and um, that was amazing. And just like getting to know like what was going on on the on the whole like music scene really. And my mum was also like um, a massive, massive like painter, massive into like uh, poetry and such. So uh, one day she just ended up just buying me a big like wedge of paper and said, do something with it. And I ended up just writing short stories and like just talking about like my day. And uh, that was kind of a way of me like, uh, can I say, like uh, escaping, escaping like uh, where, where we were at the moment because it wasn't the best place, but um, it was our home at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that, that really helped to <laughs> helped alleviate some of the pressure really. Yeah. yeah, one one of the best things, one of the best things were uh, which I which I like liked were uh, you'd have like street cook-offs, which are amazing. You had like loads of like big like old people who had been on the street for years and were kind of like sentinels of the street and like looked after us all, and they'd just like invite people around to like their house and just have like a massive cook, and like that that really helped with um, the Notting Hill Carnival because like growing up around that and like seeing all those uh, people have, have their own stalls, like inviting you into their house, like um, especially my nan. My nan was a massive advocate of that. She'd like be in there on the stove making fish cakes, chicken, roti, patties. It was all going on. And, uh, <laughs> and you'd have like local kids, like just like trying to get involved. And like she'd, she'd throw, us, throw us a few, uh, few free samples if we could get people coming and like buying from her stall. And it was all going on like that. And um, also another great thing were the amount of community centers going on. Which they made specific efforts to come down and like uh, and show that they were part of the part of the community. Like one of my best moments was like when Ian Wright and uh, and Ashley Cole came down and sh- showed us a few soccer skills and added and just had a chat, just talking about our oh, sport got them through this, sport got them through that, and like. Uh, and having like musicians come down and talk about uh, what they've done since they've like come from like a poorer area, if you will, and yeah. uh, it, it like kind of opened like many of our eyes to like that were, there are other ways out of there from like bar like slinging rock and like <laughs> and like all that carry on. So that was pretty much like one of the mo- one of the most um, important things growing up, just having like these role models showing you that there was another way out. Um, in the position that like uh, we're both in now, I'd be all about like giving back and you've got to show that um, you have been fortunate and there is another way. I think you need to continue this cycle really of like going out, doing what you got to do and then coming back to the community and showing like what you have done and showing that it's, you know, if you want it bad enough, you can go get it. When me like her mum passed away, I like literally, literally had like, uh, had all this energy. I like questioned faith, questioned like the world, questioned like pretty much everything. Like uh, what I was about, what everything was about really. And then like, uh, just through like writing, bit of poetry, like talking to yourself, like family around me, I would like ended up like uh, just finding that many different uh, ways of getting it out there, be it like through like, the power of word, be it like um, music, be it like through just like, just as simple as like uh, sitting in a park and, and watching ducks like fly around me. 
that was pretty much like how which helped me like get through the whole uh, whole event and that and uh, I'd say that definitely having having like the option to write and like get my words onto paper and then like you know uh, perform that in front of people like so people like kind of got to understand what what where I was at the time that really helped really helped like the whole healing process to be honest Angela Morris Windmill is an Australian multidisciplinary artist um She's a wonderful lass. She shares a studio just near me, and we've had many passing conversations um, about not only her work, but about the topics that are prominent on this show. So she kindly invited me down to her studio to discuss her own experiences um, about how her children have been affected and how creativity is coming into their life and how her work influences that. It's uh, it's a real inspiring one. Angela's a lovely lady, and... Uh, I absolutely love her work. I'm a huge fan of it. So you find me in her studio at Thameside Studios um, in Woolwich, chatting uh, right in the centre of a creative uh, haven. The, the human, very organic side to all your themes, ideas and, and the way you work. Um, what does it do for you personally on a, on, a, on a sort of emotional level? I mean, does it allow you... We talked about that development from being in a uh, family that maybe didn't, you know... Uh, think openly in terms of sexuality and all those things but you've come to a whole different place um that must be such an empowering thing for you as an individual just as a person absolutely i think what what it does for me i've i've noticed um in the last year a lot of things i've noticed um i've noticed that i enjoy the repetition of of, of things that i make of uh even just the action of a brush and mm. paint pot I thoroughly, I've never seen a colour therapist, but I can see the value in, in colour. Colour gives you a different feeling. If you're having a hard time at home or at work or whatever, for, for me, colour is, uh, I can't hear anything when I'm looking at colour. So when I open up my paints, or even just coloured markers, I'm scribbling, um, I feel that the colour just sings to me. And it takes me to a different place. It's like meditation to me is, is colour. Mm. Um, and, and silence. Sometimes I'm either in, in the studio and I've got music as loud as I'm allowed uh, and I sing a lot. <laughs> um, sometimes if, I'm, if I've got a really tight deadline, everything has to be silent mm. and I'm totally in my head. And, and, and it's my space. And when I'm, I'm here and I'm working... I actually can't think of, nothing else enters my head. I can't think, everything I've left out of the door. It's on the other side of the door away. And this is where all creativity comes out. And I'm just, I feel like I am fully me alone mm. in here. It's really interesting because I think we live in a world now with so much noise and in terms of technology and we're always in, you know, always in touch with people now. We're so much more accessible than we used to be. So it's harder to recoil from that and kind of be in your own personal space. Yeah. I certainly think that's an influence in people feeling down, people feeling um, think you know, low self-esteem. Uh, I think we're, we're all comparing now. You know, people go on social media and say, oh my God, they're in this amazing uh, you know, holiday and think, oh my God, they've got the life of Riley. I mean, it's never the case. We all filter. Yes, absolutely. Um, but that silence you mentioned there, I think, has got a really valid... I think there's a real power in, in being able to go into just a space where it's you and you alone. Yes. Um, My phone doesn't even work in here because I have <laughs> such thick brick walls, I have almost no reception in mm. this room. So 
people can't even call me. It's not until I get in my car and my phone's going with you know messages and things. Yeah. So I am really quite alone in here, and I take a lot of comfort. Yeah. In that. It's brilliant. And does it give you agree? Does it give you the same sense of identity that I feel in my own work? I mean, I, I get the, the biggest buzz when someone like you know likes my work. It's not an egotistical thing. It's because it's an extension of me, and I love to do it. And, oh, yeah. and I would do it if I was the last person on the planet. Uh, it's as simple as that. But when someone else connects in some way, or, or likes, or even criticizes, I don't care. It's because it's it's an extension of me. Absolutely, absolutely. I, we all like to sell our work. But it's, um, it's never been the number one goal to sell. It's always been, first of all, it's satisfaction for me. It's, it's my time. It's my expression. It's what I'm feeling. It's what I am enjoying. And this is away from my family life. Uh, my son's autistic. My daughter has a lot of intolerances and allergies and eczema. They both have mental health issues. Um... And it's my time away from the demands of, of that um, to just be me. And then when somebody does see my work, whether they've brought it or not, it's secondary. But when someone comes in and they're beaming and they tell you, you love, they love it, you, you, I can't help but feel like, oh, thank you, thank you. You can see what I see. I've made you happy. I've given you joy. Um, I've only had two people who've come into my room and said to me, oh my God, I love your work, but it's scary, I have to leave, or I'm a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I still touch them, and they, they've, they've come back for this creepy look or whatever it is mm. that they, they find has struck an emotion. And I think if you've struck an emotion with someone, you've done your job. Yes. That's how I feel. Yes. If someone came in and they just said, huh, and walked out again. It's the biggest insult. <laughs> it's like, can't you see? Can't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just for the, just for the vegetarian reference for the listener, Angela works with a lot of animal anatomy and skulls and uh, quite macabre-looking things. I uh, used to be vegan. Yeah. <laughs> you come for you from, the other way. <laughs> that was for health reasons. <laughs> that wasn't for animal reasons. <laughs> And um, so, so you, you told me recently you're about to start a new project, um, working with young people coming up. So I, I have, um, since October, I've been um, the artist in residence mentor at London South Bank University under the People's Academy there. And I work with an artist called Xavier White, who I mentor, and he's a brain injury victim. And I've actually been working with him for about three and a half years. And he got a residency, he's the first artist in residence there. And alongside that, um, there is a, one of the staff there called Dr. Eddie Chaplin. Um, for the last two years, he's, he's been approached um, by, it's in collaboration, so South, London South Bank University and South London Morsley um, NHS Fund Trust, SLAM. Um, I've come up with um, a grant for a project that's to work with, um, if I have a look here, that's all right, then I can say it properly. Um, so it's to, it's to work with um, Camberwell Green Magistrates Youth Court. Um, it might just be youth, um, but it might be older people as well. And this is to identify um, offenders who may be um, on the autistic spectrum or have learning difficulties. And they've, they've gone into making offences as such because it, it might be a misunderstanding with someone at a bus stop or... 
they've not known they have these disabilities um, or mental health issues. Um, and so this is a two-year piloting program to see how art might be able to help these people. And then essentially it is, instead of going through to um, a prison term or uh, a, a, a medical um, psychiatric unit as such or, or any, anything in between, this is for them to be with a caseworker and essentially um, be in a different place where they might be able to learn some skills, learn some things about themselves, maybe have a diagnosis, um, learn about that, look at their background, and do some art and see if they can come out the other side somewhere. Essentially, if they can go and study something, or get a job, or learn why those habits or those those offences came to be, and then to see a different path, mm. which fascinates me and I'm passionate about it because my own son's autistic. I can see from uh, my son's meltdowns and behavioural problems that if you've grown up as an adult, you're a young adult, and you've not had an opportunity to be diagnosed, it's hard to get a diagnosis, um, and it's hard to get into a school that might even know about your your condition, then if you've had to struggle and not have family support or understanding, and that can even be difficult when you do know about autism um, and mental health, then then this is something that's, that's in between, that... If my son was 20 years old, he might be in this position. So I think I'm, I'm more than happy to be in a position as an artist and, and with this, this parental knowledge that I've got to help other people out of this, to find another way forward. Because this could be anybody that we know. It's, I'm such a big advocate of that way of thinking because I, I think um, I just... I mean, just within my own circles of the most eccentric, fascinating, wonderful minds, um, people who have got creative inclinations. And if you take those channels away that they've latched onto, whatever it is they do is irrelevant in terms of the practice, but it's that channel and that way to express and to turn something that might otherwise go on to become a negative outlet, you know? Absolutely. Um, I always say that if I was left out on the streets with kids without any kind of creative or sporting channels which were my two big anchor points I mean I was a, I was a lad growing up um, and I had excess energy so when you and then when you start to bring in things like autism with that if it's not given a valid outlet an interesting creative channel it can go on to become these negative things when in fact if you flip them and give them these, these new contexts and exciting avenues through mm-hmm. the arts I think they can be the most powerful, beautiful minds in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, just, just seeing my son at different times in his life when he's found m- m- not being able to make friends at school, being isolated, um, going a really tough time when he had his diagnosis. He had, he had never picked up a pencil before to draw, was never interested. I've never been a parent that pushes my interests on my children. It's there if they want to touch it and have a go. He started drawing superhero, his own superhero, just black and white. He couldn't do colour. He did a lot of very detailed, they were like very detailed fashion drawings with labels. Nice. But in his superhero made up characters. And this gave him um, a sense of calmness. 
to be able to do that. He has a whole book and it's just page after page. Of he now wants to be a graphic designer. So I've told him about him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and he loves gaming and these are his, his channels. Mm. Um, and with the artists who I work with, who um, is a brain injury victim, has some mental health issues, his outlet has always been his art. My daughter has mental health issues. Her outlet has always been playing music. She, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's people like this. They have the, people with autism have the ability when they find something they love and introduce to it, they can sit there for 16 hours and just be completely absorbed in what they're doing mm. and to do it, and do it well. Yeah. It really does intrigue me. I know very little about, um, about autism. Actually, some of my some of my my reference points with that have been in. The, I read a lot of um, fiction by an author called Dean Koontz, and a number of his characters have been autistic, and he's really kind of uh-huh. looked at the beautiful side of, of, of that focus and and his strengths. So I've always been quite interested just off the back of that because I read that yes. from like fourteen years old growing up. So I was very intrigued with these characters and the way that he painted them in his in his words. But it's not something I know a lot about. But you know, I think. I think the program we're about to start is, sounds brilliant, and um, you know, I'm excited to see how that develops. Absolutely, absolutely. They're still in planning processes and uh, writing job descriptions for each person's role on mm. the team, um, and they're hoping that end of March, a bit later than that, it might be that when the the program actually starts to take place and form, that they've asked me to be on the program. So I'm really looking forward. To to, yeah. to doing that well, absolutely I, I couldn't think of a better person thank so. you <laughs> so, yeah. good luck with it thank you I, I think creativity plays an important part not just in autism but in, in mental health and and, yeah. uh, and children's mental health um, mm. especially and we need to learn more understanding of it and we need to I was saying to one of the professors at the university last week we need to turn this into uh, something that is known or is said out loud as much as the word cancer is said out yes. loud. This is how I see it. It needs to be, when I was young and growing up, you hardly heard the word cancer. You maybe didn't even know anyone who had cancer. Uh, it wasn't until my 20s that I started hearing a friend's mum or dad got skin cancer in Australia. Um, but now it's so common. Everyone knows. Everyone fundraises. Everyone does this. Um, to help, which is fantastic, but we need to put energies into other other areas that are just as important, which many many people at one point in their life will have some some need for help. Yeah, yeah. without doubt, we all we're we're a complex animal, you know. It's absolutely a guy, uh, Steve, who was on the, the same show uh, that we're talking about now. He. Um, you know, he said we're the only animal that thinks the way we do. That has the power of introspection, and that can go many ways. Um, as we know, we can all we can all feel like we're alone in the world. We can all question what what we're doing here. You know, why why am I not in the job that I want to do? There's so many so many things to deal with in modern life, and yeah. and it's just um, we need outlets and positive channels for Absolutely. that. And I think art is one of the biggest uh, beacons of that out there. Yeah. Art, music, yeah. gaming, yeah, uh, fashion. You know, we talked greatly about your fashion work. That's a, that's a, you know, that's that's your kind of sh- not shield, but it's it's an external reflection oh, it is. of it's who a you are, who you want to be. It's, it's yeah. so many things beyond just throwing on some clothes for the day. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> My son's just started um, going to a, a very good specialist 
autism school. Uh, it's the first time in, in 10 months he's going to school. He couldn't leave the house for most of that time. Now he can't wait to get there. But the challenge for him, he has to look a certain way. He's yeah. organising his wardrobe the night before. <laughs> if something needs washing, I don't get told till the last minute because he has to look right. It's his, it's his thing now. <laughs> oh, he's in great hands with you. <laughs> you can it's, direct him. He's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but again, there you go. That is just another channel. It's another way it's for another him channel. to be himself. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Mm. That's wonderful. Oh, it's great, great news that he got into the school. Yeah. Yeah, it's really Fantastic. cool. I love that he's loving it too. That's really, really He's nice. absolutely loving it. Uh, yeah. they, he, they have therapy dogs. He gets Indian head massages. I want to go to the wow. school. Wow. <laughs> they they, they have this, this <laughs> class called Self Science, which is understanding your feelings inside and why wow. you might feel this way if this person's reaction to you, what you just said has, mm. has happened. It's about learning facial expressions and tone of voice because he can only wow. read uh, really angry, really sad or really happy in people mm-hmm. whereas the rest of us will read hundreds of facial yeah. expressions and tones of voice and hearing me talk like this now he would think I was really angry with him if I was talking like this whereas I'm not I'm just being matter of fact mm. um, but it, there's great things like that in the school, which I think that should be in all schools. I was just going to say, that's very encouraging it's, it's, to know that, that, that with these things like this are going on now, and let's hope that that gets rolled out. That's, it, it absolutely needs to be everywhere. Because yeah. I think our, our kids' generations, uh, they face so much more than we face growing oh. up. There's so much. <laughs> no, I hate to be 18 now. Jesus, um, <laughs> social media and stuff like that. It's oh my God, everything so telling you what you should be and what you should do. Yeah. And, and some of my art to come is going to be based on uh, almost anti-fashion magazine pages that'll be big paintings. And this oh. is what I'm thinking of doing for New York. Uh, we see magazines that are telling us in words all over what you should wear, what makeup you should have, what you should look like, how skinny you should be, or what colour mm. your skin should be. Get the London look. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've drafted up some scribbles of paintings that have the reverse of, of language of that. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've got canvases that I've shot with pistols with my dad last summer too. Excellent. Show the damaging side of, of this lifestyle, I, I guess. That's very cool. I won't go more into it because it's still developing. Can't wait to see that. That's excellent. So it's quite Warhol. Do you know the story about the, the shot Marilyn campuses? No, I don't. He basically went in his factory studio in New York. Um, I, uh, I forget the name of the lady, but she basically turned up and said, I'm a friend of a friend. Uh, I'm all right to come around and shoot some of your campuses. So it was like, yeah. You know, of course, thinking photography. Yeah. Pulls out a gun and shoots his, <laughs> his Marilyn Monroe like screen originals in the in the Ollie each in the forehead. But he ran with it, so he sort of very subtly painted over them and then pulled it back together, but so that you could still see the bullet. That's fantastic. So it That's fantastic. He told the shot Marilyn series, and she's you know she was angry about the she's like as as a slight on on. Uh, feminist values and things yes. like that and anyway so oh that's fantastic I might have said that really wrong but the gist of yeah. it is that anyway and yeah and actually pulled up the gun and shot his canvas that's so good <laughs> that, I had my whole family at the pistol club with all my canvases stretched out where you'd normally have paper targets and <laughs> so it's my dad my brother <laughs> me my nephew we're all shooting but I told them I 25 meter range and I've gone and put black inch long stickers where I can visualize the figure and what she's wearing and all the slogans and things I'll have and 
I've said to my family, like, these are the dots you've got to shoot on. My brother said, oh, my God, Angie, if I shot that, I'd be an Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> oh, can you aim? <laughs> anyway, this was in Oz last summer, and I had to leave with a suitcase full of empty bullet cartridges, shot canvas. Wow. I also brought a load of electronic resistors and the guts of old wirelesses at my dad's radio wireless club for my son to play with and I had I thought if I just throw in a bag of salt yeah into my suitcase with all this other stuff will I get will I get pulled over <laughs> absolutely brilliant it's <laughs> so good Ray Richardson is a good friend of mine and a fantastic painter based in Woolwich. Uh, he's a brilliant artist. He graduated from Goldsmith uh, around the same time as Damien Hirst and a lot of the big names that went on to form the YBA movement. But Ray's always been his own man and he's really carved out his own path. And I'm a huge fan of the storytelling going on in his work and the narrative appeal. There's a real filmic quality about Ray's work for anyone that knows it. Um, it's adored by some pretty big name people out there. He's got a huge uh, and hard-earned following. And I wanted to talk to the man behind the work. I wanted to talk about just how much of his personality goes into his work and how he makes sense of the world around him in his art. Uh, Ray's a top guy and he kindly invited me down to his studio to uh, to have a chat. You can go and check out his full episode, which was on the show uh, not too long back. Go back on the archive on soundcloud.com forward slash arrest all the mix and hear his full story, which is one hell of a tale. Very inspiring stuff. So thanks again to Ray for having me. Here you go, Ray Richardson. I know we talked before about your backstory, but it's, uh, have you always been kind of creatively inclined or what? Uh, yeah, I mean, ever since I was as a kid, you know, I was always, like I said to you before, I was always drawing when I was a kid. If I weren't drawing, I was playing football, that yeah. was it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I guess, um, I don't know, I guess the thing that's very difficult is I'm sort of having a bit of an issue with it at the moment with some people where they don't really understand, they know what I do, but they don't understand it at all really they mm. think they do but they don't yeah and i'm finding that really frustrating and having to deal with that because it, it's it's family really when it comes down mm. to it um i guess and i guess that it is it is a job what i'm doing but i don't see it as a job i just see it's what i do yeah you know what i mean so i think there's a distinction yeah. because uh you can be in your studio. I, I don't sort of think, right, I've got to be there from 10 till 5 like, or, or 9 to 5 like most people. If I come to the studio and, uh, I don't know, I don't do anything for a couple of hours and I don't do a couple of thing, anything for a couple of hours, but mm. if I get something done that only takes half hour in a whole day, then that's like a victory. And then that's like a... I think touching on that thing of like, yeah, that, that's what makes you happy. I mean... Yeah, I think it'd be terrible if I, if I couldn't paint anymore. I'd be I'd be really lost. You mm. know, this is the thing actually. I because one of the guys I talked to on this, he, he was he was obsessive skateboarder, very good. He was going on to compete at an mm. international level, and he blew his knee out, and he mm. couldn't do it ever again. As simple as that. He was like, "You won't skate again." And yeah. so it was quite crushing at the time, and he went through a spell of being quite depressed because he mm. lost this. You know, spent all his life going for this thing. And uh, he's now a brilliant photographer and illustrator, and it was it was that it was finding the design that he'd kind of touched upon in his skateboarding yeah. that led him into that. And he said it's that having that thing taken away. It's like when it's more than a job, which I think it is for most passionate creative people. Mm. 
um, yeah, you, the thought of not having that and not having that vehicle to express yourself is actually quite a scary thought. Yeah, well, I think the thing is, is uh, I think he won't hear this. Is my my dad? You know, for example, I mean, he'll say to me. He doesn't live in London anymore, even though he comes from London. So I speak to him like once a week or whatever, and you get you get the same questions, which is uh, you know, how's a car? How you doing? And all that. <laughs> yeah, cars going? I'm all right. Um, and he'll say, "Have you you getting plenty of work offered to you? You getting um, you got plenty of jobs on?" And so I have to bite my lip every time because I find it, I want to explode, you know what I mean? And go, oh, for fuck's sake, what do you mean? Yeah. Jobs. I, I kind of go to the studio and I paint and then I make a body of work and then different galleries in different places, you know, whether it's my gallery in Luxembourg or Brussels or the one in Lo London, you know, then they sort of say what they like and they don't like. No one's saying to me, oh, right. because my dad was an upholsterer, mm. I, go, I actually said to him, this was literally last weekend, he said to me, so you're getting plenty of jobs coming your way. And I said, Dad, it's not like upholstery. You've, I said, you've got to... And I, and I didn't want to be rude to him because he doesn't understand, he doesn't understand what I've gone through at all. Because mm. he left school at 14 and went straight to work, you know? Yeah. And I went into higher education. And I was the first person in my whole massive family who did that. Mm. And so I had to say, like, Dad, people don't come come to me and go, right, we, we need 50 foot of painting by next week. I said, it's not like someone going to you, you need, we need 50 foot of pub seating upholstered. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I am in a really lucky position because I have, I've, I've, I've made a living and I'm established and, you know, but um, so now it's kind of almost like, Dealing with that stuff's the kind of yeah. slightly aggravating stuff, yeah. you know. Um, but and it, yeah, and so if it's, it's it's a kind of thing of like if you if I get a call off of my folks or whatever uh, on a Sunday and they go, oh, but well, you're at home, I go, no, I'm in the studio. What are you doing in the studio? It's Sunday, and that's the <laughs> point. And that's the point. And that and the thing is, is that I'm happy. I'm happy to be in the studio on a Sunday I'm when the, when the building's really quiet. And I've got a football on. Yeah. So, uh, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm as happy as Larry and shit football phoning, the idiots <laughs> that ring up. I'm the same, you know. Like, yeah. I, like, I like coming on the odd Sunday and I, and I never do it for deadlines now. It's only because I want to do it. Yeah. And like you say, I think the point now with the parents is that disconnect of it's not the traditional job. No one's yeah. asking you to do it. It's no. very speculative. And I think people who are not freelance have never lived in that world have a hard time yeah, yeah. understanding it. Yeah. I have the same thing. My parents, in the best possible way, they're very supportive. Mm. But I don't think they understand well, it. That's the, same with, that's the same with mine. They're, they're supportive. But they're, I, I know, I know, you know, even though I'm, I'm like 50 sort of thing, they're sort of still, um, they're still kind of, uh, they're still kind of, they they haven't haven't they worked it out that I've made a living for thirty years? I left graduated thirty years ago this year, yeah. and it's all I've ever done. Yeah, you know. So, <laughs> why what, the what, would have gone by? Yeah, now. <laughs> why are they why are they still worrying about how many jobs have you got? You know what I mean? It's like fucking. Hell. I think it's ingrained so deep in it. It's like it's hard to hard to shake. Yeah, um, and I understand that worry because I've got two sons and I, I don't I don't actually I don't worry about them so much because they're they're in totally different fields to me mm. and I have not got a clue what they're going to do but I just sort of think they're both all right and they're getting on with their lives and that's it and I'm not so going to ring them up and go oh, you know like my son who's a physicist kind of you know what I mean I don't even understand what he yeah. does yeah. 
Yeah. So why am I going to go to him? You're getting plenty of jobs coming yeah. your way. You split an atom this week, son. You know what I mean? So. absolutely brilliant, yeah. I love it. One thing I was going to ask you, because I, I, I know we talked about it at length on the, on the main show, but I, the, the, the sort of character and, the, and the, the filmic stuff in your work, now I've known you a little bit, it's like I, I'm, I'm always really intrigued about... about um, People's character and, and and you know the way they spend you know you're a Londoner and, and there's a lot of that sort of city feeling comes through in, in your stuff. Is is your work sort of? Do you find it a good way to kind of express certain? I don't know if it's opinions. Um, yeah. The way you're feeling is it? Does that stuff come? Because I get I mean it's so emotive your stuff. I, I like to think that there's a lot of you going into those pieces quite subversively. Yeah, I mean you know like that piece there. That's you know that that. That, that I never saw that. That that I mean, it's a painting. It's it's actually Bobby Womack, mm. but from an it's from a cover of a country album that he did in the seventies with him smoking a pipe in a fucking cowboy get up. Yeah. And then I stuck him in Woolwich by the Wimpy Bar in Woolwich because that's where I used to go as a kid. That was going out. That was going out for dinner when we mm. were kids. Was going to the Wimpy. It was like a big treat on your birthday or something like that. Yeah, I remember. And then. The painting is actually a comment on how Woolwich is changing, sort of thing. You know, a lot of stuff for the better, but at the same time, I think it's changing to the um, maybe to the detriment of the people that have have lived here for for bloody years. Mm-hmm. And sort of, so you're getting the Arsenal seems seems to be in the ascent, and there's like Marks and Spencers going in there, and there was a Marks and Spencers on Power Street for years, but they shut that down, and it's a Poundland now. And it just seems that all, everything going towards the Arsenal and the town is still pretty shitty and shoddy. And then you've got the big eyesore, what, in my opinion, Tesco's that's there. Mm. And then that just kind of tried to have everything in it at one point, like selling fucking computers and tellies and stuff like that. And there's shops, small shops are closing down because this big fucking monster of a superstores opened up so it's that kind of thing of like yeah. the community dies even more and we get more bookies mm. and more pound shops and yeah you know just cheap shit sold to people which i suppose maybe that's all they're going to fall i don't know yeah. so the painting was a, it's called riding into tesco town because my mate barry bish that's who, awesome. who's down here uh, he's got a studio here he called woolwich tesco he was born in plumstead he called. T- he said one day, "Oh, you've been down Tesco Town lately," and I thought that's a great fucking. That's brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So the painting's called because Bobby Womack was riding a fucking horse on this cover. It's called Riding into Tesco Town, and it's just about. I guess it's a kind of metaphor for me because I was born in Woolwich. Kind of going back and sort of seeing how it's has changed. Mm. You know, and there are some good things at Crossrail's going in there and stuff like that, yeah. and the DLR goes there now and stuff, mm. but. Um, but the irony is, is that everything that's been—it's like everywhere I think in in the UK, everything that new that's being done, people who've been say in a certain area for a long time, they can't actually afford it. Mm. So yeah, there is yeah. So there is I I I don't want to ram stuff down people's throats sort of thing. Yeah. But there, yeah, there's, there's there's my opinions come across yeah. in the paintings, and if people want to. Yeah. sift them out and they can and if that's they, the beauty isn't it though because then a hundred different people will see it a hundred different ways yeah. but you on an inherent level mm. you've, you've, you've said that now it's in there and, it, and it's a comment whether people will see it and want, yeah. want to see it or not yeah. and I, I, you've got a really good point because I think 
I hold a lot of blame for um, particularly sort of young people now in, in I mean me being from Keighley in a smaller town like that yeah. exactly what you've said there the high street where I was growing up I think it had, it had two possibly three art shops when I was at college yeah. now there's none it's cash yeah. converters cash generators yeah. there's a new bookies yeah. heartbreak is stuff like bargain booze and it's like I think that's the saddest for the people who have not been fortunate enough to, to learn a way like we have to, to somehow express that that dismay with it and I think if people did have the tools to do that there'd be a lot more comment and a lot more sort of therapeutic you know it's, it's a way to channel that anger or that or that, or that uh, disillusionment whatever yeah, it is yeah I mean um, I, I, I don't know well I did get an email recently about some arts thing that's going to open up in Woolwich and I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, really. It, because it was like it was talking about. It, I don't know. Talking about it like it was some community thing, but then it called something. I can't remember the exact wording, but it was calling it an art store. And I thought I don't like the sound of that. There's yeah. a. It's like some. That don't sound very community. That sounds like a fucking business to me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So. Um, I don't know, I'll look into it, I don't know. But I did get questioned by a couple of architects down in Woolwich. They just, you know, kind of hauled me up in the streets. Oh, can we ask you some questions? And they were, they were doing some study on Woolwich and they were coming out with stuff about things happening, like, oh, there's this new arts thing and there's going to be this jazz club and there's going to be a cinema. And I said, yeah, but I said, there was fucking three cinemas in Woolwich anyway. I said, you know, they're all gone. I said, they're all fucking churches now, which I've got no problem that because the art deco ones yeah. a beautiful building and that had probably just fallen into such disrepair that it had yeah. probably been pulled down like there used to be one at Deptford the same and that that's what happened to that um, but I don't understand it it's like you kind of we had cinemas we had a proper high street in Woolwich mm. and then now it's like I don't know I don't know I guess it's happening all over the UK like you say where you come from yeah. um, but it's uh but yeah, I, I do think, because I, I do think that when, I think people can surprise themselves when they kind of try something creative, because there's a lot of people that they, they don't even realise that they've got a bit of ability, and then, yeah. and I know for myself, if I don't paint for a while, I get in a really shit mood, mm. and you know, and sometimes even like, I mean, I was staying in a hotel in Brussels last week, and on the pad, you know, they've got the hotel notepad, uh, you know, I don't know why, but they got them in the, the hotel pen. And then I just did a drawing for the woman who cleans the rooms, who was cleaning the room. That's cool. I just drew a dog and said, see you, thanks, or something. And I did it last time when I had my show in Brussels last year. I did a drawing and left it for the woman. And I just sort of think, well, that's no big deal, I know, sort of thing. And I left a little bit of dull as well. But, um, <laughs> but I just sort of think, well, if it brightens up, someone's day that they get a fucking nice little drawing or they yeah. might screw it up and bin it you know what I mean yeah. I don't know but that's the thing though isn't it yeah it can, it can be dead simple but, but then that makes me feel actually I don't know why I'm not trying to be like some patronising git sort of thing but it makes me feel it makes me feel kind of good you know what I mean that I can I can do something like that and if it does make brighten someone's day a little yeah. bit and that's I good. think it's a beautiful thing yeah. yeah it could just be a mate doing a stupid doodle on a bit of paper mm. giving it you. It's the same thing it can make you it can just give you a brief laugh whatever it yeah does. yeah so many that's why I'm just ever ever fascinated by it because there's so many different extremes to it to creativity and what it gives people and yeah that's the crux of it really yeah 
So French illustrator Malika Favre, she needs no introduction. She's one of the best in the business. She was on this show for the 50th episode only a few episodes ago. So go back and listen to the full conversation if you missed that one. Uh, Malika's one hell of a personality and a really, really wonderful illustrator. But I wanted to talk to her about this idea of overdoing the thing that you love. So, you know, we all, this is very much about encouraging people to get creative, to use whatever their thing is to channel their their emotion or just to talk to like-minded people to be a part of something essentially. But what happens when you do that too much? What happens when you're in too deep and you can't see the wood for the trees? I, for one, have worked for dream clients and actually felt a little dismayed about getting a new project because I just had done it too much and I, you know, maybe I burned out, maybe I just needed to step back. So Malika's going to talk about the benefits of just getting away and why it's important to leave her surroundings from time to time. Um, if you haven't heard the full episode, go back and listen to it because it's an absolute belter and Malika's a wonderful person. So thanks to her for giving me further time to talk about her work and more importantly about why she has to get away from it sometimes to avoid the burnout. Yeah, I think that uh, for me, I think it depends on people. But for me, I know that I'm I'm really bad at taking breaks. Anyway, I'm very when I do something, I do it a lot. So I'm very bad at taking breaks and you know managing my time and managing my work life balance. Like when I when I get really intense into some you know into a project, then everything you know becomes secondary mm-hmm. in a way. And so the only way I I I mean the only solution I found to to keep me sane was to go off, like, so go traveling or, but like, go off, like, leave London, leave the bubble, yeah. or just not take any clients. So I'm doing both, actually. So I'm taking a lot of time off, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm traveling a lot. Uh, I'm trying to go away at least for two, three weeks every two or three months because just to kind of refresh and, uh, yeah, and get new ideas and mm. breathe a bit and get my brain working again. But... But lately, I found that it's not, it wasn't enough. So now I also need to sometimes take a month or two months without any client jobs, you know, or where I very, you know, maybe where I cherry pick the people I work with or, yeah. you know, I'm being... So I think it's, for me, it's essential, like, because uh, it really gets to me otherwise. I get, I get really angry. Uh, I get really jaded mm. and uh, I'm very bad at hiding it. Yeah. And I'm very bad at not caring. I can't. I, I care. Like, even if it's a, even if it's a, a, a bad job that, you know, I, I could never take a job just for the money. No. I can't. It's just, it's not in my DNA. <laughs> it's like, I'm still going to try and make it good. Of course. And yeah. if I don't, if I can't get there, I get very, very frustrated. Because I think when you do something that's very personal and you fail, which happens, uh, it gets to you. Of course. It just gets to you. Yeah. And you wouldn't be the professional that you are if you, if you didn't have that attitude. Yeah. As well, you know. So I think it's, it can be very intre- intense. Like I, uh, I find that you get like, you know, really squeezed, mm. you know, in the industry. And actually, I, I'm not even sure if there is longevity in doing that, to be honest. Like... When people ask me, like, how long do you think you're going to do it for? I, you know, you, if you asked me that, like, four years ago, I would have been like, oh, forever, you know, that's my dream job. And nah, nah, nah. it's still a job and it's still intense. Yes. Do you think that comes with experience? Because I've started to find the same thing. I, I yeah. now put a greater separation between my life and my work, yeah. which once upon a time I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. differentiate between the two. Now I, I get really excited about watching a film, going yeah. for a walk. Going on a I think it day. comes with age as well. You yeah. want different things. Um... And also in this idea of, 
unless you're like a total workaholic, which some people are. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it was also the idea that every time I was working like a maniac, you know, when I was 25 and, you know, I was doing crazy hours and really putting a lot of work in, there was always at the back of my mind this idea that, that one day... Um, it will be rewarded one day. You know, you've got this goal at the end, you know, mm. it's like the light at the end of the tunnel yeah, yeah. that the idea is that you're doing all that so that one day you don't have to. Yes. But if you keep doing it yeah, all your yeah. life... It's true. <laughs> and also, surely, um, surely doing that, like you say, it's not sustainable. It's like you reach a point where you, you suddenly think, well, actually, you know, I'm putting these hours in. Now, I usually do like 18 hours sometimes. Yeah. When I first started, I got yeah, yeah. so bad and this idea that I could do this for a living... I would go so bad for it. Yeah. I'd never burn out, whereas I do burn out now, and it's almost like. I yes, a burn, I think the burnout is a big fear for yeah. me. Like, it is because I remember, even when I was working at our side, they were scared mm -hmm. because I was working too much, and, and, and they told me a few times, like, be careful, be careful, you're going to burn out. I never did, luckily, but I think I was very close. Mm. And I don't know what a burnout is because I've never actually properly had one but I don't want to know like no. and I think it can yeah it can you know it can destroy your creativity you have to know when to stop yeah totally. I think it's, it's the idea as well yeah. but even like you know when to take a break but also when to stop yeah I that, think that, and that's an art that comes with experience in yeah my, in, my, in my experience you yeah know, it's like, I think and on the other side of it then so do you, do you feel like um do you feel like your creativity is 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 that your way to to show you as a person do you find that a positive thing emotionally you know to, um, and, just, and not necessarily just your illustration but I think just being a creative person and being it's just like for me it's, yeah it's who I am like I could never mm. yeah I, could, I couldn't do it any other way even if I stop being an illustrator tomorrow I'm still gonna you know um, love you know picking furniture clothes yeah. like put creativity in little things I think it's just who you are like so that's that that is the two part mental health and creativity special concluded i hope you enjoyed it i hope you found it useful um it's gonna be up there with the archive for uh, for hopefully forever these podcasts i want to leave this up there inspiring people forevermore and i hope that's what it's doing i hope you are finding it inspiring and of, of use and enjoying the show seem to be getting more and more positive feedback now uh, on social media and the following's growing all the time so thanks for anyone who's taken the time to do that hope this was a good episode like i say let me know um, we've got some awesome guests coming up we've got street artist and illustrator Slazy coming up before long um, we've got a full episode with Angela Morris Windmill who was on this episode briefly and that is one hell of a story so look forward to that one um, who else have we got? We've got Arsenal photographer Pricey, he's got some great stories about working his way into sports photography with no other real creative background and that's an inspiring story too so it's all going on on Arrest on the Mix thanks as ever for your support, feedback on Twitter at Arrest on Linux. Keep in touch. Nice one, guys. Cheers. I'll see you soon. You've been listening to Arrest on Linux.